week ahead, brought to you by Advisorpedia and powered by Tomatica Research. I'm Tomatica's Chief Investment Officer, Chris Versace, and let me say, holy cow, what a week last week was, start of March quarter earnings season, a cornucopia of data that has us asking questions such as, have we priced in too much of an economic rebound or not enough? What does it all mean for the Biden administration and their stimulus plans? What about costs and rising input costs? What does it mean for margins? Ah, so much stuff. And here to help me break it all down, faster than a speeding bullet, able to digest economic data like no other, the ability to turn a phrase like no one you've ever seen, now you see or now you don't, to Matica's chief macro strategist, Lenore Hawkins. Yo, 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 what's up? Um, oh, I forgot. I forgot the yes. biggest question of the week, Lenore. What's that? Yes. It's it's who is going oh. to get Cap's shield? Oh, Chris is wearing Captain America t-shirt. Oh, excellent. And um, I don't I don't know that. I don't know if that can actually compare to my sparkle unicorn little headband with an actual unicorn horn. I, I was going to say, I, you had a pointy hat on. I wasn't sure why, if you had to go into the corner for a little while sparkly, or not. Sparkle unicorn, sparkle unicorn. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Well, Keep Lenore, it real. Keep Lenore, it real. give us some context for the markets last week, because on the one hand, markets are chugging higher. We're setting intradays for the S&P and the Dow. Yeah. But. But not all parts of the market are chugging higher. Uh, actually, since peaking on March 15th, and that's peaking as in a peak, not as in sneaking a peak. Uh, the Russell 2000 index was over 4% down from that peak, but the S&P 500 has added another about roughly 5%. So over the past month, small cap stocks have actually lagged about 9 percentage points. And then if we look at what's really going on with the small cap, and now keep in mind, we're hearing all about how the economy is going like gangbusters, everything's just fantastic. Yes, great. Small cap they're the ones that are most closely tied to the domestic market and yet they're underperforming the large caps small cap underperformance has been pretty broad based the weakness has been generally centered in the most cyclical sectors also not consistent with the narrative of a phenomenal economy you know what's interesting about that though is earlier this year small caps and high growth stocks nasdaq related stocks were trading off as the 10-year treasury yield rose higher. But this past week, it actually fell dr rather dramatically towards the end of the week. What do you make of that? Priced in. Stuff's already priced in. There was an awful lot of this is going to be fantastic priced in. So when we look at those small caps, you had the cyclical that was actually getting hit harder than the defensive. So like utilities were performing fairly well versus financials, materials, consumer discretionary, and energy all got hit hard. And then if you look at the S&P 600 versus the S&P 500, so let's look at the small cap versus the large cap, you see that every single sector in the S&P 600, that same sector lagged significantly behind its equivalent in the S&P 500. So you put all that together and you have a pretty decisive risk off signal that's really beneath the surface, even if the S&P keeps making new all time highs. Now, this is quite the disconnect, and we're going to be monitoring this in the weeks and maybe months to come, because how this disconnect resolves is really going to determine where the market's going to go next. Absolutely. Absolutely. And despite all that, you were telling me that Charlie Schwab did something that was almost unthinkable. Yeah. So Charles Schwab actually added more clients in the first three months of the first quarter. 
about 3.2 million than it did in all of 2020. Now, according to Schwab CEO, that's because there's been greater interest in those, guess what, high growth tech companies and, oh, meme stocks. Now, now we talked about this several weeks ago, right here on this uh, program, when we were concerned about potential survey data that said, yeah. hey man, a lot of folks are gonna take their survey, their, sorry, their relief checks and they're gonna put them into the market. And to me, and I, I maybe for you, but certainly for me, that feels very dot-com bubbly type of time. Yeah, it does. I'm, I mean, I'm, we're, we're seeing bubbles all over the place. Okay, all right. Can't, can't right. Agree. One place you're not seeing a bubble though, <laughs> one place that is bloody cheap is the VIX. It's um, you know back below 17. It's back to that level of incredible complacency that we saw in mid-February of 2020. What about, see, the thing there is, I don't think most people realize they can buy the VIX. Well, it's a good time to do it. Good time to get some, <laughs> get a little protection on there. It's real cheap. Well, we'll we'll get to that. I, you know, there's a lot of euphoria in in the numbers, and you know, earnings season, which we'll talk about, seems to be starting off on a stronger foot. But as as we'll get to, it it's that cost side of the equation, those input costs that could be vulnerable. There's there's always a shoe to drop more often than not, and that very well could be it. But before we get to that, talk to me about some of the other new data that you were eyeing out that last week. Yeah, so uh, last week a report came out from um, Bernstein that found over 25% of US publicly traded companies, so one out of four, failed to actually generate positive net income year, in the last year. Now that is the highest proportion in at least the past 50 years. One out of four didn't generate any positive net income. Now 37% of technology generated a loss in 2020, but that wasn't exactly a concern in 2020. The tech subset generated a 65% equal weighted total return, despite 37% generating a loss, and 92% market cap weighted return last year. That's way over the 40% figure for the domestic tech sector as a whole. Now, that run-up has helped foment some really fancy valuation. 36% of the money-losing tech universe enjoys a market cap equivalent to at least 15 times sales which tops the previous 33% peak in 2001, as well as the 24% log during the depths of the financial crisis. So yeah, it's pricey. So I, I wonder what that data would look like, you know, on a uh, fourth quarter or first quarter 2021 annualized basis when we factor in all these SPACs that have happened. Exactly, yeah, that's gonna get real interesting as we get the data, because it takes a bit to get this. Okay, now you're, you're, I think you're tied a little more to the banks when they report their earnings. Not that I'm not, but I think you're looking as a proxy for future economic growth, loan volume growth. Yeah. Right. I'm looking and, less at it as a stock and more as what the heck's going on in the economy. Right, right, and while right. these banks are reporting their just fantastic results, everyone's cheering. I got to say, one of the things that came out for me that was a bit more important was the actual shrinkage in their loan book. The year-over-year -year trend in outstanding private sector credit at Wells Fargo was down 13.2%, at Goldman down 4.8%, and at JP Morgan down 0.4%. So wait a minute, we have this glorious expanding economy, and yet the banks are shrinking their loan books. Yeah, what, it's... What's really been driving their money has been investment banking, because as we all know, the market's been going crazy, right? So trading and investment banking has been doing fantastic. But the, the economy side of these businesses, the loan books, not it, it, the same picture. It, it's just another lesson that you've really got to dig into what's driving the business quarter to quarter. It, it, just because you have great headline numbers, 
you know, it doesn't mean that everything is moving the way you want it to be. And we, we see that all the time in um, economic data as well. But one place we didn't see it in economic data, one area that surprised to the upside yeah. with a lot of unbelievable subcomponents that were that were just off the charts in the month of March were retail sales, right? Yeah, retail sales last week just absolutely blew the doors off. Um, on a year-over-year -year basis, retail sales were up 27.7%. Now that's the single largest increase by an enormous margin that we've ever seen. The prior record was 11.2. So let me say that again. 27.7% compared to the prior record of 11.2 from March of 1994. I mean, but, but then again, like let's think about, put that in context. That's comparing this, that past month, March, to last year when that was the start of, I'm not leaving the damn house. Exactly right. right exactly so. right. But we, we had some tips that that was coming. You know, I, I think last week we talked about Buckle, um, a retailer that had some ungodly, I want to say, greater than 50% year-over-year growth in March. So there were some signs that the consumers were, they, they were getting out. They might, might have been addressing some pent-up demand yeah. and, of course, spending those relief checks. Yeah, it turns out when you throw $1,400 at people, they might actually spend it. I mean, so far... <laughs> we have seen an unbelievable level of fiscal stimulus and it turns out when you toss all that money into the economy people might actually spend a bit um, what's interesting if you take a little step back the four largest month over month gains in retail sales going all the way back to 1992 have come in the past 12 months so when you put that roughly like five trillion in stimulus which is for context almost 24 percent of gdp you put that out into the economy from the, the Fed or the, the federal government and uh, you get some spending. So one of the things that I, I'm always kind of marveling at is this accelerated shift towards you know, digital shopping. We, we talk about it all the time because of our digital infrastructure and connectivity uh, index that we have. But how do we quantify? Can we quantify? The degree to which you know, this non-store category in the monthly retail sales report has gained wallet share. Yeah, so we can look at just the percent of spending, the total spending, where it went. And if we look going back to say, let's start January 2020, right? So mm -hmm. kind of before this pandemic all began, give us an idea of how things have shifted. Well, non-store has gained about 2.1% of wallet share. And on the other end of the spectrum, bars and restaurants have lost 2.3%. Not a big surprise. I mean, you can't go, right? A lot of places you can't go. Building material has gained 0.8, right? We're stuck at home, so we're <laughs> building out the house. Sporting goods have gained 0.3% of the wallet share, right? Because we're not going on trips. We're kind of bored, so going out and engaging in sports. Gas stations have lost 0.6%. Well, yeah, you're not going to work. <laughs> you're stuck at right. working from home. Right. So to, to me, I think as we get this data, it's going to be careful going forward. It's going to be careful to watch for inflection points. And I think if, if we dig, dig really deep into the retail sales report, I was surprised by, granted, they're easy comparisons, but, you know, um, restaurants and drinking establishments, you know, tremendous year over year growth, so much so in March that it actually closed the gap in the first quarter data where it was down ever so slightly. Yeah. So I, th this is going to be something to monitor and it will confirm, I think, um, what people are suspecting in terms of rising vaccination levels, the reopening and the comfort of going back out into the real world. And now that you've brought up taking the longer view and looking at that big picture, what I think is actually concerning 
is that retail sales are more than 17% higher than the peak from 14 months ago. Now, what that really means is that retail sales are higher today than they would have been had we not had the pandemic. That can't be sustainable. It just can't exactly, be. Exactly, exactly. It just can't exactly. be. I mean, I'm sorry, we've had this massive pandemic. We've had unemployment, the likes of which we have not seen since World War II. We've had economic contraction on a global basis, the likes of which we've never seen. Mm -hmm. And yet U.S. retail spending is better today than it would have been had we not had the pandemic. I'm going to call for there being some distortions in the data. <laughs> well, and all, th all that, that stimulus, mm, which brings up what you and I have been talking about is all of this great data that we've gotten in because we can, you know, a little bit on the, the manufacturing data that came in last week as well from the Philly Fed, from New York Empire State also just blew the doors off. They were much stronger than expected. Going to be interesting, those conversations in D.C. Hmm. Do we really need this massive stimulus package when we're getting all this data that's saying the economy is just going stronger than ever? Right. But but the other side of that is, you know, we, we make fun of this word. It's the Fed's favorite word, transitory. Yeah, exactly. How, how exactly. transitory is all of this? Is, is this a lot of stimulus, pent-up demand that will be, um, you know, as things open, will it be a one, two-month blip of unbelievable numbers only to tail back down to more normalized levels? Because let's be honest, over the last year, I haven't bought any clothes. Have you bought any clothes? And are you I've, really gonna? Are, are you gonna when you do go out and go buy stuff? Are you really gonna buy enough to make up for all that? Right? I mean, we we've another good point was that we saw the initial unemployment claims last week fell to the lowest level that we've seen since the pandemic began. They fell to five hundred seventy six thousand from seven hundred sixty nine the week before way below what was expected at 700. Now that's fantastic, except to your point, Chris, there's still 16.9 million people continuing to collect jobless benefits, 16.9 million. I don't think they're feeling like the economy is all that fantastic. Oh, I, so I, I agree. And let's I agree. not forget all the moratoriums. There's mm. all those moratoriums on like the, the mortgages that aren't getting paid and they can't keep people out. There's moratoriums for renters. So there's there's a lot going on underneath the surface that's being covered by these one-off just injections of cash basically from the federal government. Well, let's let's stick with that transitory and and almost if you will this spending notion where you know you you and I know that dollars only go so far and if prices tick higher the ability to spend actually mm -hmm. shrinks. So you know Coming into the last week, we saw uh, intermediate and in-process goods. The March PPI was warmer than expected, almost suggesting, hey, down the road, we might see you know, this warming inflation turn a little hotter. What did you see this past week that might suggest, yeah, that is the case? Well, what we're still saying, I, I'm still not buying that one. Um, I mean, yeah, we did see some price increases out of the, the Federal Reserves or manufacturing that goods the the prices paid and the prices charged where are up substantially but let's just think about where we are today a year for a year ago we had demand crash mm -hmm. right we all got stuck at home so we had, you had this massive crash in demand and the demand crashed faster than supply could constrict 
Well, now we've had this some 5 trillion of stimulus and we're opening things back. And so big surprise, 5 trillion of stimulus plus people can finally get out of the damn house. And look, demand is rising really fast. And son of a gun, if demand isn't rising a lot faster, then supply can keep up with it. And on top of that, like it's not just that supply can't keep up, it's more the supply chains, which you and I have talked about right. on this quite a few times. So that supply chains could take some time to get that, that ironed out. I will point out, if you're thinking about that inflation, we still have that nearly 17 million people still collecting unemployment. And the other pivot of data that came out that kind of got lost in the shuffle was capacity utilization mm, last right, was, right. in March was actually weaker than expected. It actually rose to just 74.4 from 73.4, but it was expected to go to 75.5. So capacity utilization, we're still below where we could be, still fairly low. So you've got excess capacity, you have you've got slack in the labor pool how are you going to get long-term inflation going when i got more people looking for work than i got that i can get to work and i got excess capacity so you're not buying it no nah, i'm not buying it long term not yet no. not yet i mean i always, okay. always look at the data we're always mm -hmm. on top of mm -hmm. that looking at the data as it comes but so far i still see too much data that's telling me eh, the big picture transitory yes but longer term no okay so when you see it turn real not transitory you're you're going to whisper in powell's ear i think by the time we see it it's going to be a little late <laughs> it's going to be a little late but i i just don't see it happening okay that's fine what um what data are you paying attention to this week so in the coming week, be again looking at mortgage applications because we're seeing some real warning signs flashing in, in the housing market. Mortgage application volume, volumes have fallen now in nine of the past 10 weeks and by, get this, an epic 32% over those 10 weeks. During the 10 weeks, purchase index has slid 16.5% and the refinancing index collapsed almost 39%. Now that's robbing homeowners of the kind of cash-like flow source they had in between stimulus checks where they were kind of cashing money out of their homes, you know, back to using the home as an ATM. So I'll be looking at mortgage applications coming up this week and Wednesday. Um, also looking at the usual, you know, the weekly jobless claims mm -hmm, was, mm -hmm. was this one this jump that we had the part last week was that, or the, the drop was that kind of a one-off. Was, was, it, was, it was, was it transitory? Was it transitory, right? That, that, that's like the, the year of 2021, <laughs> transitory. Um, March existing home sales, gonna be looking for that. Um, and those leading indicators and new yeah. home sales. Right, exactly. Okay, so let, let's switch over to uh, stocks that we were paying attention to this week. And the, the first one, you know, I, I think was more in your wheelhouse to be candid, which was the Coinbase IPO. Why, oh, why, why, why did that jump out to you? So, well, that was the first um, real crypto, truly real crypto company that went and hit the public market. Um, the expectations were pretty high. Uh, it went it went public through a direct listing on the NASDAQ, so it wasn't really an IPO. Um, it didn't go quite the way many had hoped. Now, NASDAQ set a reference price of $225, which really didn't actually mean that much. Shares opened just over $380, traded up to almost $430, but then they sold off really sharply into the close, finishing the day actually below where they started at $328. Now, big picture, that is still ranked the seventh largest new listing in the US of all time. So not exactly something that I think those early investors in Coinbase are crying over. But Thursday, the shares continue to struggle and again, closed lower. 
Now to put the market cap of Coinbase in context, it is now just below that of inter inter Intercontinental Exchange, ICE. The ICE, the ICE. The ICE, the ICE, and um, bigger than that of NASDAQ. So that's wait, 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 wait. Did you just give me two ICEs? Ice, ice, baby. Okay. All right. Well, the other big thing we had uh, last week was, and we alluded to this earlier, was a slew yeah. of bank earnings. And, and, and again, good reported numbers blowing out Fantastic. top, top and bottom line expectations, yeah. but it's the mix that really matters. Uh -huh. And I think we'll get a little more of that in this coming week as a couple of those stragglers report. Um, the other big one that was, I think, really a, a surprise is what happened with J&J &J and its vaccine. Um, you know, uh. not, not, not only is that going to slow the pace of vaccinations here in the U.S., but also elsewhere, I think it's going to raise a lot more suspicion about these vaccines. Because remember, this comes on the heels of what happened in Europe with, Ash, with the AstraZeneca. With AstraZeneca. Yeah, we did so. not need this. We did not need a second vaccine that's that's blood clot problematic. We really How happy was I that I got two shots of Moderna? Yeah, I feel pretty good right now. Although it was only women of childbearing age that seemed to have the problem. So I feel like you're probably in the clear either way. You know, I've been telling, I've been meaning to tell you something. <laughs> All right. Been so, together so, a long time, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so just moving on. Um, some other data points and uh, earnings that kind of jumped out, um, you know, confirming what we were saying about the March retail sales report, American Eagle, um, you know, they reported that their first quarter revenues would be over a billion. That's a mid-teens increase uh, compared to two years ago, not last year, two years ago. That's unbelievable. Wow. That's um, what I'm saying. Like retail sales are higher today than they would have been without the pandemic. It's just bonkers. Crazy. And it turns out you were telling me people still real excited about decorating their houses. Well, I'm not, but yes, there are people who are. Who are. Um, Ethan Allen Interiors, they reported a almost 52% increase year over year in written orders, which is That's unbelievable. Amazing. See, now yeah. I would have thought that after last year, the way people pivoted um, to to their spending, you know, I'm not going anywhere, I'm going to spiff up my home, that sort of thing, or I'm going to buy a second home because I can't vacation anywhere else. I would have thought that the bulk of this would have kind of been behind us, but th this is a massive, massive increase. But 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 it's not just you know clothing and the home. We're, we're seeing unbelievable numbers uh, in the auto sector. Daimler came out and reported unbelievable first quarter profits uh, because of strong demand in China uh, and as well as the overall recovery that they're seeing. Volkswagen did the same thing. Their global sales expanded fifty three percent year over year in March and. Uh, overall deliveries for the first quarter were up 21% year over year. And remember that their mix, Daimler and Volkswagen, skews a little more outside the U.S. So that really tells you something about the recovery that's underway from uh, the pandemic. But here's the weird thing. We keep hearing about this automotive chip shortage and idling production. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm a little concerned that we're as good as those numbers were in March, April and May may not be as strong as what people are thinking. And I think that is something to be thinking about looking at this reporting season. Are people like Ethan Allen blowing it out of the water, just an mm -hmm. unbelievable increase. Is that really going to continue? Are we really going to see this increase in retail spending? That that is that is part of the problem with when and understandably, you know, we're all terrified of the economy crashing, people out of work, mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. the stimulus gets thrown in. 
but and you've you know I've talked about this a lot. It it does remind me a little bit, but on a much bigger scale, the cash for clunkers, where <laughs> you get this right where the spending. Mm, it gets kind of confusing in there because you're bringing forward a bunch of spending. Uh, Ethan Allen, are they going to be able to keep this up? Probably not. Well, I, I think that speaks to uh, one's ability and arguable willingness to look underneath what's really happening and why those numbers are so strong and in, in the immediate term, as opposed to those people who are like, it's going to continue forever right. because, we, because we know it can't. Um, so two other uh, quick things. One, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk again about this uh, chip shortage. NVIDIA killed it. You know, their business is on fire. Their, quarter, their quarterly revenue uh, is going to be above what they guided and they were guiding for $5.3 billion. And here's the thing. They're saying it is strength across the board for their end markets. Now, Let's be clear, they do very little, like three, 4% of their business is in auto. Their primary drivers are graphics chips and data centers. And then on top of that, on top of that, Taiwan Semiconductor came out and not only did they beat the March quarter for revenue and EPS, but they lifted their outlook for the current quarter. So uh, the people who are reading into this uh, expansion of the chip shortage into other markets, you gotta be very careful what you're doing. Yeah. It's, it's, it, they're not, they're not apples. No, they're not. And that was a very good, se- that was a very good segue, by the way. Uh, Mark How Cali- smooth is that? I, I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> smooth like a baby's bottom. So with that, um, with Apple, the only big news there is they are going to report their earnings in a couple of weeks. But ahead of that, on April 20th, um, they are going to have their latest uh, new product introduction event with the tagline spring loaded. Not really sure what that means, but the expectation is more iPad pros, more iPad minis, AirPods. I'm still and I, waiting. I basically, I guarantee you that they're going to come out with some new AirPods. I absolutely guarantee it. You, you know how? Um, you just bought some new ones? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be, I wouldn't be surprised if there's new AirPods and a new MacBook Pro. 14 inch probably right because i just bought a macbook pro 13 inch didn't want it wanted bigger. no they won't they so, won't go know, they, they won't go they no 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 you're you, you no. might you might you might be right but i think you're a little wrong they won't go 13 to 14 they'll go 13 just, 15 15 15 they something it's gonna be bigger it's gonna be what i wanted because they like to mess with me just saying it's gonna be bigger it's what i wanted don't yeah. mess with me that's exactly what's gonna happen i'm just gonna have to cry <sighs> so Moving on. Oh uh, yeah, we got to move on because I can't. Moving I, on. Yes, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. All right. So last week we had about ninety-five companies reporting. This coming week, boom, three hundred and twenty-five, and then once again, it will be closely clustered on for some reason Thursdays. I don't know why they do that, but they do. It's just mean. Um, you again, on Monday, make the pain just all at once. I don't know. I don't know. Some somebody the the earnings gods don't like Fridays for some reason, or people who work on Fridays. Um, so let's talk about what we're going to be paying attention to. Uh, right out of the gate on Monday, we got Coca Cola, IBM, United Airlines. Coca Cola. The key is going to be their comments on um, takeaway. Uh, sorry, away from home, which is restaurants. What are they seeing in the volumes of restaurant related businesses? What's the cadence? And then yeah. what is it on a geographic basis, not just the U.S.? Um, I'll be looking at United. I'm very curious about United. So United uh, commented last week that they're adding 24 new routes by Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. Delta commented that they are going to reopen the the ever awful middle seat in May, <laughs> uh, much to the chagrin of travelers everywhere. 
And American Airlines announced last week that it actually expects, this one really surprised me, it expects summer travel to hit pre-pandemic levels close to it um, and is expecting to operate nearly a normal schedule with about 90% of their norm domestically and about 80% international by summer, which is surprising just given as somebody who's traveled internationally um, from the U.S. because that's basically you're on a plane and it's just a lot of crickets, so that would be a good change. <laughs> Well, it, it will be interesting because I think Delta said this past week when they reported that their business is about 90% uh, pre-pandemic levels. But yeah. to your to your point, international is, they, they didn't quite paint it the way you did with crickets, but they said it's nowhere near where it was before, so. Well, and I can say, you know, a lot of where Americans travel is Europe and I'm there and it's still closed for business. So <laughs> it's a little tough to be coming here, but what are you gonna do? You still can't come to Italy and go to a restaurant. Can't go to Ireland to go to a restaurant. Spain, France, Germany. Mm, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna so. worry about what's. I'm gonna worry about who's reporting on Tuesday, which is gonna be uh, Auto Nation, J and J, Procter and Gamble, and Netflix. And with with Auto Nation, the question isn't gonna be so much about how many cars they're selling, but what are they seeing about new yeah. stock of cars and that availability. J and J. I really want to hear how they address what we talked about earlier with the um, vaccine. Procter and Gamble again, global. Not only what's happening on a global basis for demand, but what kind of pricing power do they have now coming out of the pandemic? You know, they they tend to in, introduce annual price increases. Let's see what they're going for this year. And remember, price increases, barring a spike in input costs, tend to drop to the bottom line. So it'll be curious to see what happens there. And then Netflix, there are a couple things. Uh, personally, uh, when is Lock and Key coming back? When is Stranger yeah, Things coming back? Uh, back. Th that sort of thing. But but from a from a business perspective, what do they see about the landscape now that Disney Plus is killing it with subscriptions? Um, and then the other one is: Are they back to filming on a regular basis for their proprietary content? Yeah, we'll see. So Wednesday, we get some interesting semiconductor stuff. Uh, ASML and LAM Research will be reporting. Your given favorite restaurant? Well, let me get to that. But, uh, for, but, but for ASML and LAM Research, it's going to be um, what are they seeing in terms of an outlook given the shortages that we talked about, uh, the, I, the Intel and Taiwan semiconductor ratchet higher in capital spending uh, over the next several quarters, uh, and of course, the Biden plan to address semiconductor capacity here in the United States. And as far as my favorite restaurant goes, um, I don't see the Capitol Grill reporting. So I'm not really sure what you're referring to. Um, Chipotle, baby, you know well, it. Just well, Chipotle is good, Chipotle is good. I Look, look, they, they keep pivoting their menu to stuff I like, right? So like cauliflower rice that's, that's grilled, not steamed, very good. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm, I have yet to hit a Chipotle lane, but maybe one day I will. Um, I'll, be, I'll be looking at Whirlpool too. I want to hear what they have to say about their supply chain, because uh, from people that I speak to, particularly people I've been talking to in uh, the furniture making business in Italy, they're saying they've never seen anything like this, where they literally have zero raw material inventory. They are just anything comes in the door and they're doing whatever they can to make something with it because they cannot get their hands on anything because supply chains are so messed up. So I'll be looking to hear from Whirlpool what's going on with their supply chain. This could be one of those instances where scale really makes a big difference.
So we'll see. Uh, Thursday, Alaska Airlines, American Airlines, Southwest, Southwest Airlines. So we will be paying attention to all of that. Uh, like we said before about uh, year-over-year comparisons, revenue miles, and the outlook for opening their business. And then Intel. This is going to be interesting because you know, some of the uh, third-party data for PC sales and stuff has been very robust during the March quarter. What are they seeing in terms of data center business at Intel, or are they getting their clock clean by the likes of NVIDIA, which I suspect. Um, the other thing is just more timing on this capital spending initiative that they're going on. And that brings us to Friday, uh, where we've got uh, American Express. Uh, again, how are people spending? What are they spending on? And then Kimberly Clark, the only reason I want to listen to this is, you know, uh, we were talking about supply chain issues and God damn it, I need to know if I'm going to get toilet paper or not. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. Hey, not everybody's got to get like several bidets like you do. What can I say? <laughs> and I think with that, that's a week ahead. Cut the check.